Now, you'll, most of you will know that um, Kerry and I moved to uh, Newcastle under Lyme about, oh, just over three years ago now. It's quite ridiculous, really. It's almost three and a half years now since I came. And the one thing that has always bugged me about Newcastle is, where is the new castle? That was the thing I always wondered, where is the new castle? I, I looked everywhere for it. Have, uh, and, and I just couldn't see it. You know, normally castles are up on the top of a hill, aren't they, you know? It's the center point of every, you know, the castles are up there. They might be in ruins, but they're definitely up there, and you have to look up to find the new castle. Now, a few weeks ago, only a few weeks ago, I was walking down Silverdale Road. Do you know where Silverdale Road is? Road is yeah? And I got to a road called John O'Gaunt's Road. Do you know that road? Anybody not know that road? Yeah. And how long have you lived in the area? And on the corner of Silverdale Road and John O'Gaunt's Road, there is the castle. Have you ever seen it? Some of you have seen it? Yeah. It's not much of a castle, I have to tell you. It's just the foundation of a castle. In fact, it's just a little bit of the foundation of the castle, where Newcastle got its name from. Shame on you if you've lived here for a long time and you've not seen. Now you'll go there this week, won't you? You will go there and there's a plaque there and there is the remains of Newcastle. I looked on Google to see what reviewers said about it. One reviewer said, not much left, just a few stones. That was accurate. That's unusual for a Google review, isn't it? It's actually true. Somebody wrote that. It's actually true. But then I found out that the site of the 12th century, can you believe? The 12th century, do they call it a Mott and Bailey? Yeah? The 12th century Mott and Bailey Castle, the truncated Mott, and some foundations from the gatehouse remain, but the stone keep has vanished, and the Bailey is now built over with houses. Who would dare to do that, to build it over with houses? Anyway, if you haven't gone to uh, see the remains of Newcastle, the, 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 the reason why the place you live in is called Newcastle, then please go and have a visit uh, uh, to Silverdale and John O'Gaunt's Road, and there you will enjoy it. Now, I'll just park that one. That, that was just a bit of local history that I thought I would just impart to you today, because I was a bit short of words. When I came to my word count, I was a bit short, so I thought, you know what, well, let's pad it out with a bit of local history, because you'll be fascinated by it, won't you? Anyway, this year, 2023, we've got our motto text, haven't we? And it's, motto text is proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You find it in Luke chapter 4 and verse 19. A few weeks ago, we unpacked that a little bit. If you haven't heard that, um, then please do go back on YouTube and you'll find it. And I wonder if, like me, you've been reading your Bible in the light of that verse. Because I have. Whenever I've read the Bible, I've sort of overlaid it with this thought of, how can I see the Lord's favor in action in these verses? And it's all over the place. As soon as you start to sort of layer it or filter it with that one phrase that Jesus said at the end of that Isaiah passage that he stood up to read, he said, and then he said, this is fulfilled in your hearing. So this is the reason Jesus came. When you start layering the rest of the text with the reason why he came to proclaim the Lord's favor, I think you then begin to see it everywhere. And I even begin to see it 
as I'm walking around, I'm beginning to see where the Lord's favor is in your lives. In the, in the conversations we have, I'm beginning to see where the Lord's favor is, and I'm beginning to name it a bit more. So if we have a conversation, you're telling me about something that God is doing, I, I'll try and name it. This is the Lord's favor on you. This is the fulfillment of right Jesus come. Now, getting back to the castle, okay? There was a point. It's like finding the foundation that the rest of the life of Jesus was built on. This is like the, the solid foundation of why he came was to bring, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to fulfill this year of Jubilee, to allow people the opportunity to go back to where it all started, to find forgiveness and freedom, a clean start, because that's what Jubilee was all about. Everything goes back to the owner. And Jesus says, this is your opportunity to come back to me, to come back to where God started all this in the first place. And what Jesus said and what his story stands on is this proclamation of the year of the Lord's favor. And maybe you've spotted it. And if you haven't started spotting it, start looking to see because it's all over the place. It's all over the place. Begin to see it. Begin to name it. Let's see what God is doing and let's become aware of it. And let's pray for more of his favor to come into the lives of one another and the people that we bump into so that they too can see this solid foundation where their life could be built on in a new direction. Now, thankfully, unlike the castle in Newcastle, the words of Jesus are still standing for everybody to see. And we can point to them and direct people to them very, very simply. And the followers of Jesus were the ones who had to continue to proclaim this message, to name it, and to, to say that this is where God is doing some amazing things. And uh, through that, lives start to get transformed. Now, I want us to look at Luke chapter 5 today. And I'm not going to read it all. I'm going to just use it through, through the, the sermon, if you like. And the, the words will appear on the screen. So here's Luke chapter 5, verse 1. I, I'm sure it's a story that you may know. I just want to dig into this a little bit, just to unpack it a little bit in, in the light of the Lord's favor being seen. So, do you want to read it with me? That would be great. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding round him, and listening to the word of God. So let's begin to see. So here's Jesus standing in a very familiar place that echoes throughout his story. And here is Jesus. Do you remember before Christmas, we looked at John chapter 1, and Jesus is known as the Logos, isn't he? The Logos, the word of God, that dynamic presence and power of God's words. And here's the Logos speaking. What's he speaking? He's speaking the word of God. He's speaking the Logos to people. He's speaking this life-transforming word of God that has some power and authority attached to it. And it's coming out of the mouths of the one who has that power and authority. You know, this is an incredible combination in that moment that people are listening to. No wonder they're crowding around. But let's be aware that the word of God is not about giving us information. The word of God is about transformation. The Word of God isn't to inform us that God is interested in us. The Word of God is to form us into the likeness of Jesus. And so there is lots of information in there, but that's not its primary purpose. Jesus isn't speaking just so people feel as if they've got a bit more knowledge in their heads and then go away and be smart, you know, on Mastermind or any other one that has a Bible question thrown in on it. 
He's not primarily speaking information. He's speaking words of transformation. And so when we read the text, when we read not only this story, but every story, when we read the words of Jesus, they're there to transform us so that we begin to to look more like him, to behave more like him as well. Every word that Jesus speaks, every word that is listened to is life-changing. And if we let it do that, then I believe we will see God's favor in greater and greater ways. Peter said, didn't he, a little bit later on in John chapter 6, verse 68, when, 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 when lots of people were leaving Jesus because it was just too tough and Jesus turned to his disciples, remember, and he said, what about you? And Peter said to Jesus in return, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where else can I go to hear these life-changing words? And here in this moment, No wonder people were crowding around him because he spoke as one with authority, the Gospels tell us. As one who had something different to say. If we want to see life change, if we want to see this year of the Lord's favor, if we want to see this freedom and this transformation that Jesus declared, then we listen to his words and we bring it into our hearts. If you want to live in the wonder of God's favor, then let's start by listening. Listening to the words about the future that he has planned for us. Crowd round him. Be eager to listen because that's how lives get changed. Let's go to verse 2, shall we? Do you want to read it with me? He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Isn't this a beautiful moment? Jesus, what did he do? He saw. He noticed. He notices people on the edge of the crowd. He notices people who aren't really interested, but they're still listening. He notices people who are doing something else to avoid it, but he knows that they're still listening. People often say to me, Tim, do you get distracted when you preach by what's going on in the room? It's got your attention, hasn't it? Do I notice what's happening, they ask me. Do you notice? Because it it must be quite difficult to look down at this sea of faces. Well, I do notice. And already today, three people have walked out. Only two people have come back. And five have fallen asleep. I'm only joking, actually. Only four have fallen asleep, so it's not so bad. Can you just nudge the person next to you who's fallen asleep, please? That would be really helpful today. Then at least we can have our attention. Jesus, in full flow speaking, notices two boats and the fishermen washing their nets right down by the shore on the edge of the crowd. And Jesus, what does the text say? He saw them. I mean, that's such an intimate moment, isn't it? Isn't that such a, a warming moment for us that he sees you and me? Even if you're trying to hide What does the psalmist say in Psalm 139? You know, even if I go to the farthest side of the seas, even go go as far as I could get, even there your hand is on me. Even there. You can't hide from Jesus noticing you today. And he notices you because he wants you to receive what he wants to give. Because he's not stingy. He wants you to experience this life that he came to bring you. 
this year of the Lord's favor, this jubilee, this freedom, this, this life that is in all its fullness. He doesn't want anyone to miss out on this offer. Let's go to verses 3 and 4, shall we? And let's read these together. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now we know from Luke chapter 4 verse 38, a passage we looked at, um, was it last week or the week before? We know that Jesus had met Simon before. Because if you remember, he'd been to, to heal Simon's mother-in-law. Okay? So he knew who Simon was. And uh, no jokes about mother-in-laws again this week. So, um, But he knew who he was. So when he spotted him, he would have remembered. So he'd already had a time to, to see Simon in action, if you like. And he saw Simon on that day and his boat. And begins, in Jesus' mind, this opportunity begins to develop. And he gets into Simon's boat without being asked. And he sits there in the shallows for a little while. And then is this next step, which is so important, isn't it? He said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. I love the confidence of Jesus in this moment. I mean, he's a carpenter. And he says to Simon, we're going to go in the deep water and we're going to have, what, a catch. No doubt about it. We're going to do this when we go into the deep water. Something significant is going to happen. And it's unexpected to you, Simon, because this isn't quite the way that you're used to fishing. But we're going to do it this way today. In fact, we're going to do it my way. And so, Simon, will you? Will you do it my way this, today? And what does Simon say? Let's go to verse 5. Simon answered, what did he say? Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything but because you say so, I will let down the nets. So he says, Master. It's only Luke, who uses this phrase, actually, of Jesus, uses it a few times in some different ways. But it's only Luke who uses this word, Master. And it means, it means to hand legal ownership over to someone. And so when Simon is saying this to Jesus, he's handing over like the ownership of his boat to Jesus for that moment. Now, why would he do that? Why would he hand it over? Well, in case anything goes wrong, I guess. Because <laughs> if something goes wrong, then it's Jesus' fault, isn't it? <laughs> it's not, not Simon's anymore. Maybe he's abdicating his own responsibility. Maybe he doesn't want to get in trouble, maybe, if, if the boat does go too deep and things go wrong. But he says to him, Master, there's a moment of letting go, of saying, you know what, okay, you can have this boat for now and we'll do what you want to say. And it's a good starting point. It's a good starting for any of us who are, who are starting to follow Jesus. You know, it's saying, well, you know what? Okay, I'll, I'll give my life to you then. You can, you can have it, but I'm not quite sure yet, but you can have it, Master. You can take it. It's the same word that's used, you know, when they get in the storm in the lake and Jesus is asleep and the storm comes up and the disciples wake him up. It's then they say, Master. Come on, you've got to sort this out. We're handing over the responsibility of this storm and this boat to you now. And it's a great starting point because obviously what happened next was Jesus stood up and he calmed the storm and they were amazed and their lives weren't the same. 
But despite giving Jesus the authority, Simon is still a bit unsure. We've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. I'm not convinced that this is going to work. There's a reluctance that sort of creeps in and maybe in our lives as well. There can be a sort of reluctance to hand everything over to Jesus. To give him that wholeness of our lives. To put everything at his disposal. And here Peter's saying, the conditions were just right at night. but And we've worked really hard. I'm not sure about this, but could I trust you, Jesus? Can I trust you? There's a moment of decision that is so important for, for those who are following Jesus. A moment of decision to say, am I prepared to give him everything to give him control over this and Peter gets to that point by saying well because you say so I will let down the nets you have to decide if you're going to trust Jesus enough to do what he says if you're going to trust him enough that this year could be the year of the Lord's favor that you could trust him with whatever is happening around your life at the moment and say, I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. This is going to be this year. And all of us are going to have those moments this year. We're all going to have those tipping point moments when we are going to have to decide whether we're going to trust Jesus or not, whether we're going to do what he wants us to do. We're going to face some, some crossroads when we're going to stand there wondering which way should we go. We're going to face some decisions maybe about a job or maybe about a health issue or maybe about a family matter. And, and you're going to have to make a decision at some point. There's a sort of tipping point that goes on. Now, a lot of us will worry more about what's going to happen in five years' time than we are worried about the next five minutes. But for Peter, he was confronted with that sort of next five-minute decision. Am I going to trust Jesus in these next five minutes and do what he's asked me to do? Because I don't know what's going to happen next, but am I going to trust him for this moment, this tipping point in his life? Because this was crucial for Peter. This was a crucial moment that would, that would shape the rest of his life. Am I going to follow Jesus in the next five minutes? And then, what could happen in the next five years? Well, I'm not going to worry about it. We'll just see. But the next five years might look very different from how you've planned it if in the next five minutes you decide to be obedient to what Jesus is asking of you. And some of you right now may be a feeling, you know what, I've got this decision that I'm facing and call it your conscience or a prompting or a leading, you feel that something needs to change and you've been sort of on the edge, the tipping point of this decision and you're not quite sure, well, the best way is to be obedient to what Jesus is calling you to. A new direction. Peter, I want you to fish my way today. I know it's not usual, but I want you to fish my way today. Tim, I want you to live my way today. I want you to work my way today. Not, not that compromised way. Not making those, de those decisions that may be popular. I want you to, to work my way today. I want you to serve my way. I want you to pray my way. I want you to use your money my way. I want you to talk my way. I want you to think my way. I want you to act my way today. Here's the tipping point. Here's the moment. Will you do it? Because if you're obedient to that one 
thing, then who knows what might come next. It might not make sense to put your nets down in the water on the, in the middle of the day. You may have never done this before. But will you do it is the question. Will you do it? And if you do, let's see what might happen. It would have been great, wouldn't it, if Jesus, before Peter had to give an answer, if Jesus just quickly showed Peter his future. <laughs> to say, Peter, if you do this today, if you let your nets down today, this is what's going to happen to you next. Wow, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Peter, it's going to be a bit tough at times. Uh, you're going to deny me a few times. You're going to die a pretty awful death. But you know what, Peter? One day, you're going to be Saint Peter. Wow. One day, people are going to build a massive structure over your grave. It's going to take 120 years to build this, but you're going to be right at the center of it. It's the Basilica in Rome. Wow, Peter, can you imagine what might happen if you just drop your nets in in this next few minutes? Well, of course, Peter didn't know any of that. But what Peter did was he did make the decision to do what Jesus asked him to do in that moment. So much hung in the balance that day. And Peter said, well, if you say so, I'll trust you for this. I will let down the nets. I wonder if it's time for you to let down the nets. I wonder if he's asking of you one thing. And you have no idea what it might, might happen next, but that one thing will, trust, will show that you trust him for whatever's coming next. Let's go to verses 6 and 7. So let's read. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When they had done so. Do you notice that phrase? When they had done so. Not when they had believed so. Not when they had intended so. Not when they had prayed so. When they had done so. The abundance of fish overwhelmed both boats. Fish galore. And in that moment, again, there's a moment of choice to make, isn't there? Because the success of this fishing trip could have become an impossible distraction for the fishermen. But instead, it led them to the most important decision that they could ever make in their lives. I mean, Peter had discovered a new fishing method. Imagine his Facebook posts that day. Imagine going on Twitter. Imagine the photograph on Instagram of that day he discovered a whole new fishing method. It would have gone viral. I, I have no idea what that means, but it sounds good, doesn't it? You know, this was a startling moment. But in verse 8, let's read verse 8. Verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. See, suddenly, no longer is this about fishing. No longer is it about the fame and fortune of becoming the greatest fisherman who ever lived. Instead, he says, go away from me, Lord. 
Do you notice the change from master to Lord in that moment? Do you notice that? It's a real subtle change, but it's so significant. To say somebody's Lord is to give that person authority to exercise absolute rights over you. So instead of the legal ownership of the boat passing to Jesus, Master, Peter's now saying, you can have all of me, Lord. Of course, it creates a challenge for him because he recognizes not only who Jesus is, but he recognizes who he is as well. He's a sinful man. It puts his own life in perspective. And for us as well, when we encounter Jesus, we begin to realize where we stand in relation to him or where we should kneel in relation to him. So Jesus was more than the captain in charge that day. Peter decided to give him his life. See, the Lord's favor is not about amassing an undeserved fortune, in this case, fish. The Lord's favor is about receiving unconditional forgiveness. And it's that that Peter knew he needed in that moment. Let's go to verses 9 to 10, shall we? For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid from now on for people. The abundance of the Lord's favor that day changed Simon Peter. Luke has added even the name Peter there now instead of just Simon. Here's the rock. It's come into into, uh, view now. They realized their own position in the place of Jesus, but they also knew that Jesus was inviting them to something else. Every day before they met Jesus, the fish were the focus. But now on this day, their eyes were fixed on Jesus. Their hearts were filled with who he is. So don't be afraid, Jesus says. Don't be afraid from now on. Before Hugh Jackman sang it, sang about it, from now on. It's the most beautiful phrase, I think, in this whole passage because it gives us a place of new beginnings. From now on. From now on, we're going to fish for people and I'm going to show you what it will take. And that was Peter's life from now on. And he had his ups and downs. He had his tipping point moments when he had to decide one way or the other. But he kept from now on his eyes fixed on Jesus. And he knew that that's where his future lay. Verse 11, to finish this passage, let's read it. So they pulled up their boats on the shore, left everything and followed him. And you would have done exactly the same. In the presence of Jesus, seeing his power at work, responding to his invitation, you would have done the same. And many of you have done the same. And you're still doing the same every day to take up this mission to go and follow him. I do wonder what happened to the boat, the fish in those boats. Do you ever wonder what happened to the fish? 
Do you know when it said the fish, the, the boats were going to sink? I, I think there should be an addendum, a footnote, and the fish began to stink. Do you think that should work? But anyway, who cares what happened to the fish? Do you care what happened to the fish? Peter didn't care what happened to the fish. I'm sure somebody would have had them that day. But here's the good news. Jesus doesn't expect you to change before you start following him. But once you choose to follow him, then you begin to change. Peter admits he's a sinner, but Jesus says, from now on, from now on. The Lord's favor is not about prosperity. It's not about how many fish I can catch. The Lord's favor is only and always about the presence of Jesus. The presence of Jesus in our lives, in every aspect of our lives, as we choose to get up and follow him and continue the mission that he's called us to, the mission to catch people. Am I worthy, Lord? Am I worthy? Now Jesus says, come and join me. And let's see what we could do together. See, Jesus never intended to make Peter a famous fisherman that day. He wanted Peter to become a focused follower. And that's what he asks of you and me every day. Will you focus your eyes on me? Will you fix your eyes on me? Whatever task he's given you to do, will you fix your eyes on him? Yes, we fall at his feet because we are in need of him. We are sinners. But knowing we're saved by his grace so that we can get up and follow him from now on. Freedom is the Lord's favor. Forgiveness is the Lord's favor. And he longs for us to receive it and to proclaim it as we follow his call in our lives. So realize your own position, a sinner in need of God's forgiveness. He notices you, he loves you, his goodness is running after you. So respond, respond to his words, obey. Master, if you say so, then I'll do this. I'll go deeper. I'll try something that I've never tried before. And I'll watch and wait to see what you do with my obedience. Don't be afraid. Push out into the deep because he's with you. Because he says so, respond. Peter didn't say a prayer that day. He just got on his feet. He left everything and followed. And I guess it leaves us with the same question. Will you follow? And will you find the Lord's favor in your life and through your life as we go out to catch the people that Jesus has called us to? Let's pray together, shall we? And let's encounter him afresh today through the presence of his spirit. We offer him our very best today. In fact, we offer him everything we have. And we trust him to lead us into the future that he has planned, whatever that might be. It's good to remember that before we loved and before we followed Jesus, he loved us. Before we even started, listened, lent him our boat, fished his way, left our nets, he loved us so much 
that he gave up his life so that we might live. He died on a cross so that we might have life through the cross, so that we might have freedom and forgiveness and the possibilities of doing what he's called us to do. He's demolished what separates us and he's opened up the way for us to find life. So today, will you offer yourself to him? Will you respond to his voice as he calls you again to follow? Your life is filled with potential of what it means to give your life to him. To stretch out for the future that he has called for you, called you to by being obedient today. May we hear your voice, Jesus, as you call our name, as you notice us. Thank you that you haven't finished with any of us yet. Thank you that you still give us a task to do. It might be very different from what we've done before. We might have to do it in a way that's totally different from how we've done it before. But we're going to trust you. We're going to trust you for the next five minutes, for the next day, for the rest of our lives, for you to unveil that future and to use our obedience as a means of growing your kingdom in our families, in our workplaces, in our communities, around this world. We offer ourselves to you today. Thank you that there is a from now on moment for each of us right now. That no matter our past, no matter our failures, no matter our sin, there is a new beginning today. And I pray for anyone today who just is ready to make that fresh commitment today. I pray for them, Jesus, that you will empower them to do what you've asked them to do. Perhaps you've never made a commitment to follow Jesus. And that can happen throughout our lives. We, we drift into something and it's all great, but perhaps today there's a fresh start for you. Well, today for you, you can say, thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you that you died for me. I'm sorry for the times when I've gone against you, when I've let you down, when I haven't been obedient to what it is you've asked of me, when I haven't lived the sort of life that pleases you. I'm sorry, and I confess my sin to you right now. Jesus, thank you that there is forgiveness for me today. A new beginning, transformation, your favor of freedom upon my life today. So I get up to be obedient to you today, free, knowing that I'm loved, knowing that I'm forgiven, knowing that you are the one who leads me on. I call you Lord today. Take my life, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, just fill us again, I pray. Nudge us and prompt us. Stir us up, disturb us, provoke us. May we 
know that you are with us and that you're for us from now on. From now on. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen.